0: Turn, if you would, to the book of Luke, chapter 10. We're continuing in our series of questions that Jesus asked. And today's question is rather simple. Who is my neighbor? But we'll get a running start into it at verse 25. And Nail said she's going to behave herself today. (laughs) After last week, I'm not sure. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. The expert of the law would have been an expert in the Old Testament law. I suspect he was rather good at it. I suspect he brought a crowd and was going to show them how to dismiss this country bumpkin named Jesus. So he was going to have a conversation We know from this passage what his motivation was. It was to test Jesus. The King James says he did it to tempt Jesus. He was going to catch him in a trap. He comes to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Very simple question. Very profound question. And if you will, it is the right question. It is the question that each of us should be asking, but unfortunately often are not. So the guy had the wrong motivation, but he did in fact ask the right question. What must I do to gain eternal life? There has been a lot of speculation about whether the Jews in the Old Testament actually understood the concept of life after death. Um, there's not a lot of emphasis on it but there is some there's enough mention of it and this passage would lead you to believe that this was a common discussion topic among them what must I do to inherit eternal life implies what must I do to satisfy God what must I do to be righteous and that's the question he poses to Jesus Why do you think he would pose this particular question? Well, he could be expecting a variety of different answers from Jesus. He could expect Jesus to simply regurgitate what is in the Old Testament, in which case Jesus is irrelevant because he's not adding anything. Or he could expect Jesus to contradict the Old Testament, in which case he would have Jesus blaspheming the Old Testament and get him in trouble with the rest of the Jewish people. We're not really sure what answer he was expecting, but somehow you understood that he thought he could go down this path and catch Jesus in a bind. Now, we know when Nicodemus came to Jesus, Nicodemus was seeking answers. He came to Jesus at night away from the crowd, away from the people, because he wanted to know the truth. We don't see that in this lawyer. He's here to catch him. "'What must I do to inherit eternal life?' "'What is written in the law?' He, Jesus replied, "'How do you read it?' Now, Jesus is talking to a lawyer. Jesus is the country bumpkin in the lawyer's eyes." So Jesus puts the lawyer back on the defensive and says, what do you think? What do you get out of the Old Testament law? What do you think you have to do to gain eternal life? He, the lawyer, answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. This is the classic summary of all the Old Testament law. When Jesus is asked to summarize the law, this is the answer he gives. When the prophets are asked to summarize the law, this is the answer they give. It is not a replacement. It is a summary of the law. All the law can be wrapped up into these two statements. Love God, love your neighbor not love God with a piece of who you are love God with the totality of your being with all your mind everything you think he should be the center of your thoughts with your spirit your spiritual nature should be totally focused on him with your strength all of your energy is to be directed toward loving God that is the summary of the Old Testament law and that is the answer that the lawyer gives to Jesus. And Jesus responds, You have answered correctly. Jesus replied, Do this and you will live. End of conversation. Where was the trap? It didn't get sprung. Jesus asked the individual, What do you think the answer is? The individual being an intelligent A knowledgeable person of the Old Testament law gave the right answer. And Jesus says, great. But he didn't stop with, great, you know the right answer. He said, great, you know the right answer. Now go and do it. Now, here we are 2,000 years later, well past uh, the Reformation, we have Paul. We have the epistles. We have the New Testament written down for us. And some of this bothers us because Jesus is essentially telling this individual, do these things, do this work, and you're in. You've got the right answer. All you have to do is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your mind, with all your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself, and you are in. Martin Luther wrestled with this. Martin Luther wrestled with this because he realized he could never, ever love the Lord his God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength much less love your neighbor as yourself. He would spend five hours a day in confession, and the priest would get irritated with him. I mean, he was a priest, but the priest that he was giving confession to would get irritated. Come back when you have a a real sin to confess. You know, go do something wretched so you have something to confess. But Martin Luther was aware of the fact that he did not love God with all his heart with all his mind, with all his soul, and with all his strength. Who can? Who does? But that's what Jesus proposes to this lawyer. You've given me the right answer. All you have to do now is go off and do that, and you will inherit eternal life. And you know what? Jesus is speaking the truth. As we have said in here repeatedly, you can be saved by doing good works. All you have to do is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, and your neighbor as yourself from the day you're born till the day you die. And you're in. But when you deviate from that, you're in trouble. And that's why we need the finished work of Jesus Christ but that comes later he's dealing with the lawyer no lawyer jokes but he's dealing with the lawyer and the lawyer gives the answer and it is the right answer and jesus says go and do it but he the lawyer wanted to justify himself he the lawyer wanted to justify himself I would contend that that is the source of a great number of problems in the world a great number of the false religions in the world it's an attempt by we as human beings to justify ourselves first off why do you think he felt the need to justify himself? He was trying to violate it already by trapping Jesus, who was his neighbor. That's a good point. Somebody else. He knew he wasn't loving God that way. He was a smart guy. This wasn't some ignorant person that walked up to Jesus. He had studied. He had poured over the law. And don't you think that in the privacy of his study, as he looked at that law and he said, I don't do that one. 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 And when Christ gave him the simple answer, just go, do that, he knew he couldn't do it. Yes, Linda. The lawyer is looking for a loophole. That's what we're getting to. That's where we are headed. The lawyer is looking for a loophole. Yes, Jerry. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> the question was, is this the 613 laws that the Jewish community had created, or is this the law of the Old Testament? I'm not sure they would have seen a distinction between the two. All their laws were, in their minds, was an extension of, an elaboration, an explanation of the law that God had given them. Yeah, well, (laughs) he can't get past the Big Ten, but maybe he thought he could. Remember the rich young ruler that came to Jesus and said, what must I do? And he said, here's some commandments, go follow those. He goes, well, I've done those. Now, we understand, particularly reading the Sermon on the Mount in the book of Matthew, where Christ takes those laws and internalizes them and says, okay, it's not enough just not to murder somebody. If you hate them, you've murdered them in your heart. It's like, oh, then we're in deep trouble. Yes, Jared? Well,
1: the fact that he asked, and who is my
0: neighbor? You're getting ahead of me here. You're getting ahead of me here. (laughs) (laughs) He's looking for the loophole in order to justify himself. We, as human beings, are constantly looking for the loophole whereby we can pretend to ourselves that we are not guilty before a holy God. And if we are industrious, we go start a religion that produces a list of things that if we do that list of things, we will be justified before our image of God because we cannot stand before the real god so we go fabricate a religion we go fabricate a philosophy we go fabricate something to justify our behavior before other people I think I've told you this story before but it is so funny this friend of ours parked her car in a parking place at a strip shopping area and this young girl pulled in next to her and scraped the entire side of her car. Okay. So the girl gets out of the car and she's staring at this dumbfounded. She goes, "I don't know how it happened, but it's not my fault." <laughs> and my friend is sitting there watching this. She goes, "I'm between the white lines. You I mean, there's no other explanation. But it has to be someone else's fault there has to be some justification there has to be some loophole while to explain that i'm not really responsible and that's what we as human beings do all the time all the time i worked with a guy actually he worked for me and he was taking some measurements on a piece of equipment and the measurements weren't coming out right. And he said, well, I wasn't there when it was spec The specifications were written. And I'm going, I don't care. You know, you took the measurements. They were wrong. Okay, we, we need to work it. But he was so worried that I was going to blame him for this. It wasn't his fault. He was just measuring the thing. You know, if you measure a piece of wood that's supposed to be 12 inches and it's only 10 inches, it's only 10 inches long. It's not your fault unless you'd cut it in the first place. But he had to justify himself. And that's the way we are. So, but he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, Who is my neighbor? Now, that's an interesting question. It's an interesting question because it's far and away not the most important question. I mean, if I were teaching a lesson on love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, we'd spend a lot of time talking about loving God with all your mind. What does that mean? Loving God with all your strength. What does that mean? Those are the big questions. How do I do this? He's off here looking for the minutiae, excuse the big picture that he knows he's not doing he knows he's not doing these things so what else can we talk about he could have talked about the weather I guess but he asked the question who is my neighbor the implication is is that this was a common uh, discussion question among people of the time. They really wanted to know. Let me give you the good Jewish answer for who is my neighbor. My neighbor is a good Jewish person. (laughs) Okay? I have this community of individuals who are my people God's people and we are neighbors. What does that mean? I can treat those outside the community with disdain and with a different set of rules and regulations. Now, I don't mean this as a condemnation of the Jewish individuals of the time. This is the problem with all of us. We have our group And you can define group any way you want. And we feel certain obligations to treat people in our group one way. And we feel free to treat those outside of our group in a totally different way. If you're a good Muslim, you are allowed, you are permitted to lie to a non-Muslim. I have been in a work situation with a Muslim individual who was lying about the progress of his project. I firmly believe he did not think he was doing anything wrong. We weren't Muslims. Why did he have to tell us the truth? Now, that's an extreme example. But we all do that. We all have our narrow definition Of who a neighbor is. And if you're in, you're in. If you're out, well, sorry. Why would we want to narrow that definition of who is my neighbor? Come on. It narrows your obligation. obligation. It's a pretty scary thought to think that I might have to be nice to everybody. If they're not like me, I don't like them. It is our basic human nature to shrink our sphere of responsibility to some manageable level. Remember, we have a lawyer here who is attempting to justify himself to explain why he's not doing what he knows he ought to be doing and in order to justify himself, he is going to shrink this down. So the only person I have to be nice to is nobody. Lawyers, he says. <laughs> and the only reason you're nice to lawyers is they'd sue you if you weren't nice to them, right? Yes, Linda? There is a way that seems right. There is a way that justifies my behavior. And I'm going to follow that way literally to the death. Yes, Jared. Well, my thinking on the neighbor subject was that in his mind, he had somebody in mind that, oh, no, not that guy. That guy yeah.
1: next door to me that we fight all the time mm-hmm. about who's, where the property line at. That was kind of my thinking, is that he was searching like, oh, no,
0: not that <laughs> guy we all have those people in our minds and Joy had an interesting observation here he is coming after Jesus who is a good Jewish man so maybe he's not his neighbor so you get the implication that this debate had been going on either publicly or in their minds who he is responsible for But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, and here we have a story. This is the way Jesus handles discussions with bright young lawyers. It is interesting, just as an aside, you know, I have the NIV here, and there's a kind of a section heading up there that says, The Parable of the Good Samaritan. One commentary I was reading suggested that this doesn't really have to be a parable. He could be relating a true story for all we know, a story that was current event or something. We don't know. I thought that was interesting. But traditionally, this is called a parable. We know that Jesus spoke in parables. Parables were stories that Jesus used to make a point, sort of. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. So he's in Jerusalem. He's heading uh, east through the Judean desert on his way to Jericho. Now, we know that biblically you always go up to Jerusalem and you go down from Jerusalem. This is stated for two reasons. One, Jerusalem is on a hill. And secondly, Jerusalem was the center of the Jewish community. So you always went up to Jerusalem. You always went down out of Jerusalem. In this case, he was probably losing altitude. So he was, in fact, going down. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. This was not the uh, best place to be traveling. You generally wanted to travel in a group. You generally wanted to travel in a group with armed guards. Best answer. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Pretty simple explanation. They took everything that he had, including the clothes off his body. They were worth something, I guess. A priest happened to be going down the same road when he saw the man he passed by on the other side. Okay, question. Why would the priest do that? Pardon? Well, he pretended. That's true, but why would he pretend? Huh? Inconvenient? The man was unclean to him. Let's think about this for a moment. The Jewish laws, if you go back to the Old Testament, put a strong emphasis on being clean or unclean. Now, we might add that unclean in and of itself isn't sinful. Somebody has to take care of the dead bodies. But it, as part of the purification rites, it does um, keep you from fulfilling certain obligations. So if you were a priest and you were, say, on your way to minister in the temple, the touching of a bloody dead body would have prevented you from participating in that spiritual activity. It would have, you know, you couldn't have done it. So maybe the priest was playing it safe. I don't know what I'll be called to do in the temple. I'll cover my bases I won't touch the bloody mess over here. Yes, Jared. Well, um when I was at a
1: stop sign or intersection the other day there was a guy World World Won't Food, hungry, mm-hmm. homeless. And I found it easier to
0: look away and not give mm-hmm. than to look in the eye. And not give. <laughs> and that was my I read. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's, it's very obvious. It says, you know, he, he he walked to the other side. I mean it's like Oops! There he is. I'll go over here to make sure that I am not put in jeopardy. I'm not uh, inconvenienced. I mean, let's not, you know, dismiss that as a possible answer. We we, we don't like being inconvenienced. You know, if if I uh, stop to take care of someone, it's going to distract from me from doing what I want to do. It was inconvenient. Potentially it would keep him from fulfilling some religious obligation that he had. He was putting himself in jeopardy. That's interesting because, you know, maybe this guy was simply the plant and the robbers were going to jump on me as soon as I stopped to help this guy. Maybe he's the robber. I get close. He's faking this. This isn't really his blood. He stabs me. He takes my stuff. Who knows what risks are involved? It's a scary world out there. And by golly, we shouldn't take risk. So the priest does the only logical thing in the world. He totally ignores the man and walks on the other side of the road. Now, at this point, I am not going to ask the question. How many times have we walked on the other side of the road? You know, you see the homeless guy on the corner. So you make sure you're in the lane on the other side, even though you do want to turn, you'll you'll go down to the next exit and turn around because you don't want to be bothered, inconvenienced. And I'm not going to ask the question. I, I, I'm not going to ask the question because I don't like the answer. Yes? What if it was us, history? Well, I understand what you're saying, but uh, as a word
1: of caution, Mm -hmm. and I I don't know how to approach this this Mm -hmm. comment, so I'm just going to tell it like it is. When you're over a couple feet, there are some MHM words.
0: I didn't say anything. I didn't ask the question. So what We're going to get to that. Okay. His thought was that there are legitimate concerns. There are mentally challenged people out there. There aren't people out there who want to do you harm. There are legitimate concerns, so we shouldn't just brush it off as irrational. (coughs) But hold that thought. We'll be back to this. But that's why I didn't ask the question. I didn't want to know the answer to the question. Yeah, he went to the other side of the road. Why did the anyway? So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side of the road. So we had a priest and we have a Levite. The Levites were the tribe that was given the task of taking care of the tabernacle and the temple and all of those things. So, uh, if I'm not mistaken, a priest would have been a Levite, but not all Levites were priests. There was a specific family of the Levites that was given the obligation to be priest. The rest of them were responsible for the upkeep of the holy things. So we could have the same discussion about why the Levite did it and we come up with the exact same list of reasons. They didn't want to. Let's keep reading. But a Samaritan. We talked about the Samaritans a couple of weeks ago. When we talked about the woman at the well, we will reemphasize this so that you, you get a, um, an emotional grasp of who the Samaritans are. The Jews hated the Samaritans. They were dogs. They were unclean. They were not fit to enter our presence is what a Jew would say. They sold out They've intermarried. They worship someplace else. They're dirty, filthy. They're not like us. We will have no association with them. Have I emphasized this enough? You go to whatever your worst racial, ethnic, uh, hatred, hot spot in the world, and that's this right here. That's what we see. A Samaritan came up. As he traveled, he came where the man was. When he saw him, he took pity on him. Other translations say he had compassion. Hold that thought. He went to him and bandaged his wounds... Pouring on oil and wine. That would be a medicinal concoction of the time. Pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey. Took him to an inn and took care of him. How much inconvenience was this? You have to assume the man was going somewhere. You have to assume he was going somewhere to do something. And he was expected. (coughs) And all of a sudden, that something wasn't being done because he had compassion on this man. Now, we had a priest and we had a Levite. I mean, to put it in a bizarre fashion, they were paid to be compassionate that was their job to be compassionate but they had no compassion here was the worst of the worst and he saw in this beat up naked dying man a human being that he could minister to and he had compassion on him. He gave him some of his clothes. He gave him his oil and wine. You've got to assume this cost something. He gave him or he loaned him his donkey. And he took him to an inn and paid him with his money. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. I don't know about you, but that's a pretty open-ended commitment. I mean, this guy is giving the innkeeper his credit card number And saying, I'll pay the bill. That's pretty open-ended. I mean, I might be willing to help somebody if I've got a well-defined, limited, this is what I'm going to do and nothing more, and then I'm done. But this man did what needed to be done to take care of this individual. Then Jesus asked the question which is our question for the day. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? You're this lawyer. I I am assuming this lawyer is an honest person. I'm assuming he's an intelligent person. I'm assuming that he is a truthful person. And Jesus is asking him a direct question. Okay, nice Jewish lawyer. We have a priest, high member of society, important individual, professional good guy. We have a Levite, maybe not as good as the priest, But still, of the right tribe. Good guy. And we have a Samaritan and good Jewish lawyer. You know all about them, right? Which of these three was the neighbor of the man who was beat up by the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, are you ready for this? Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Does that mean you're supposed to go walking the Jericho Road waiting for people to beat somebody up so that you can minister to them? No, not necessarily. Yes. The only person that was listening to God without question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He'll tell you if you're listening to God. Go and do likewise. What is the likewise? The likewise is showing mercy. Who is my neighbor? The attorney, the lawyer, wanted to justify himself. And the only way he knew to do that was to shrink it down, down, down. Because he could not stand the obligation if he opened that up Too broadly. He couldn't stand it. So he had to shrink it down. And Jesus says, All you have to do is to show mercy on those that God puts naked, bleeding, dying in the road in front of you. He's not even necessarily telling him to go look for it. But sometimes God brings them into our lives and it is our obligation, our privilege, to show mercy to them. The lawyer wanted to justify himself. The Samaritan had compassion. Now. We're going to get back to Jerry's comment. There are bad people out there. It is a true statement. I don't want to belittle it. I don't know the answer. I do know that there are people out there who need our compassion. They may not be the guy on the side of the road. I don't know. I don't know. I am not going to stand and tell you when you're driving home, there's a man on the side of the road, he's your job. But I do know that God will bring people into your life, into your circle, who you think shouldn't be in your circle, and God wants you to have compassion on them. But our normal reaction is to justify ourselves. Go ahead, Jared. Avoiding our conscience. You know, God does give us a conscience for a reason, but that's a whole different lesson. There are two possible answers. Go ahead, Jerry. Well, there is a way. I hope nobody drives home today and sees somebody on the side of the road. Picks them up, gets murdered, and it's all my fault. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Go figure. She was talking about her son picking up an individual and actually taking him and feeding him, which I might say is is probably a better answer. But it's a more involved answer. It takes more work. It takes more of all those things that we don't want to do. And I'm not necessarily talking about, I'm not, I'm not not talking about But I'm not necessarily talking about the homeless guy on the street. I'm talking about whoever, whoever it is that is in your circle that needs compassion. You know, in one sense, slipping five bucks to the homeless guy on the corner is a cheap, easy answer. When I won't help my Physical neighbor who's struggling with some problem because it would take too much time. I have a, well, I'm not gonna, I won't identify him too closely, but I, I know an individual who says he won't witness to people because if I witness to them, then I'll have to disciple them, and that takes a lot of time. <laughs> I don't have the time. Who has the time in this world to do this stuff? We were beaten, robbed by sin in our lives. We have been destroyed by the ravages of sin and we didn't know it. Jesus Christ looked on us with compassion. And he says, I will bind that wound. I will pay that debt. Not a dollar, not two dollars. I will pay that debt, whatever it is. And he paid for it with his life. To bind our wounds, to clothe us when we were spiritually naked, to tend to us. To put us on his donkey and take us to heaven. And all he tells us to do, snicker, snicker, all he tells us to do is go and do likewise. That is the call that we are given. We are called to be Christ Instruments of compassion in this world. I don't know what that looks like in your life. I do know that we... No, forget you for a moment. That I would much rather spend my time justifying my own behavior, explaining why I'm not as bad as the guy next door, that I'm not any... To justify my behavior rather than showing compassion. This lawyer asked the right questions. He really did. He asked them for the wrong motivation. And when he had the right answer, because he knew the right answer, because he gave it to Jesus, when he gave the right answer, Christ said, great, go and do it. There may be, there are, ignorant people in this world who do not know the message of, of Christ they're not the people in this room the people in this room the people in this church we know the right answers we really do I know the right answers and all Jesus tells us is go and do likewise whatever that looks like in your life I don't know God will bring them into your life and you will respond or you'll walk to the other side of the road. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that you showed compassion on us when we were unworthy. I pray, Lord, that we likewise would show compassion on those around us, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Yes. Go ahead.